Well, thank you all. It's, I'm super excited about being here this morning uh, to share God's Word uh, with everybody at Mercy Hill, and I'm super excited that as Warren Baptist Church, we had a chance to partner and help out in the early days of the church planting, um, and I'm excited to see what God is doing uh, here at Warren Baptist Church, uh, not at Warren Baptist Church, at Mercy Hill. Uh, I'm always afraid, like when I preach at my church, that I'm going to say what my former church in Alabama is at 15 years ago. I was there for 15 years. I'm always afraid I'm going to say First Baptist Church. Like, no, we're at Warren Baptist Church. Now we're Mercy Hill. So um, anyways, glad to see everybody here today and uh, glad what God's doing here and have enjoyed really getting to know Pastor Brad and uh, getting to know him personally and pray with him and see what God is doing here. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been deceived? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, good. I'm, I'm glad we raised our hand, right? I mean, there's a lot of deception out here. I, I want to show you a great ad here. This is an older ad. We'll put it up here on the screen. Um, because I don't know if you've ever bought a product and then later that realized that product wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. Now, obviously, this isn't a new ad, right? Um, this is, is a very old ad. But I want you to look at this ad for a second. Because there's some very interesting things about this ad. And if you want to know how do I get deceived, one of the ways that people get deceived is it appeals to emotion. I mean, look at this ad, right? After a few days' use, we'll permanently remove all blotches, moles, pimples, and freckles. Now, just using these wonderful arsenic wafers, I mean, look at the promise. What teenager wouldn't want to get rid of pimples, right? Give me some of that arsenic wafer stuff. That's going to be really, really good. A lot of people would want to get rid of other things. You know, I was the other day I was looking at my arms, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm starting to get some age spots. You know, it's like, oh, I'm too young to get age spots. I don't want age spots. You know, give me some of those wafers. That would be really cool. I mean, look at some other things here. One of the ways that we get deceived is not only do ads and politicians and all sorts of people appeal to our emotions, but, but look at this here. I mean, here's another way it appeals to emotions. It says it, it produces enhancingly beautiful connection that shames the use of powders and creams, warranted perfectly harmless. Okay, and then it, it look at that next line. Dr. Sims, safe periodical wafers are safe and reliable for all female irregularities. What? I mean, that's just... I mean, but, you know, as a lady, you want to look pretty, right? And men, we're thankful for that, right? And, and so, man, as a woman, you're like, oh, yeah, I, I, definitely, I definitely want that. And, and also another way that, that we get deceived is there's oftentimes an appeal to authority. Uh, if you look at this here, it, it talks about the bottom. It talks about that it's sold by all leading druggists. All the best leading druggists sell this wonderful product. And look who developed this product. Dr. Sims developed this product. And hey, you know, I mean, Dr. Sims did this. So there's an appeal to authority here. And certainly, I mean, who wouldn't want to buy these? Do you all want to go out and buy these wonderful arsenic? Wait, some of you all don't want to buy arsenic wafers. I, I mean, I know you're thinking arsenic. <laughs> really? But you got to remember in the Victorian era... Arsenic was the rage. It was colorless, odorless. They put it in wallpaper. They put it in food coloring. They made baby carriage materials out of it. They put it in medicines and in cosmetics. And I mean, people were... Now, I know there was some crazy stories about arsenic workers getting 
arsenic poisoning and dying. And I know there were some weird stories about people with wallpaper in their house with arsenic in it that were getting really sick. But forget all that. This is great stuff, right? Wonderful arsenic wafers. Now, again, I, I, I know. And, and in fact, just look here, too, just in case you're a little nervous about these wafers. They're warranted to contain no tansy or Pinot Royal. I, I have no idea what that stuff is. But apparently back in those days, that was the boogeyman. Bad ingredients, but arsenic is good. Now, again, we all kind of laugh and chuckle because we're like, there is no way I am wiping arsenic wafers on my face. All right? We know now that arsenic is, can be very deadly. But back in the Victorian era, this was all the rage. And, and you know, the reality is deception has always been a part of this world. If you go back to the very first book in the Bible, you may know the story of Adam and Eve. And Satan came to Eve, you know, and said, hey, eat this fruit. And Eve ate the fruit. And you can read about it in Genesis chapter 3. And when God comes into the garden and he confronts Eve in verse 6 of chapter 3, Eve says, look, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now, how did this serpent deceive Eve? He appealed to emotion. Hey, if you eat that tree, you're going to be just as smart as God. You're going to know good and evil. Now, who doesn't want that, right? I mean, you know, who doesn't want to sign up for Elon Musk uh, neurochip that we can put in our head and have Google in our brain, right? I'm just teasing. I know some of you are like, I ain't doing that. But, you know, he appealed to Eve's emotions. And she ate the fruit. And then, obviously, he was lying. And then she's like, he de so deception has always been here. It's always been a part of the human condition. Now, let me ask you this. A lot of you have raised your hand, and I, I would include myself in that bunch that says, yes, I've been deceived before. When did you come to the point when you realized you had bought into a deception? What caused you to get to a point where you said, this isn't true? Some of the things that, that I know for me when, when I've realized I bought into a deception is when the stories contradict each other that they tell me. Or when there's all sorts of consistencies. Or when the person or group or whatever that's telling me this thing that I've come to say, oh, I'm not so sure this is true, they get real defensive if you start challenging that person. And by the way, truth is never afraid of a challenge. And so when people get real defensive when they're being challenged, you kind of you wonder, or when they seem to be ignoring the evidence. Like, well, look at this evidence. It's contrary to what you're telling me. Nah, don't worry about that. And they start ignoring the evidence. Or when it just doesn't work with reality. Like, you're telling me one thing, but this is what I'm seeing. This just doesn't work with reality. Have you all been there? I mean, think back when you've been deceived, and we've all been there, and then you step back and realize this isn't true. And what did it take to get you to that point? You know, Mercy Hill Chapel is a, is a new gathering, and I'm super excited about this. But I, I'm just, now, just hold on, Pastor Brad. How many of you all know that you aren't being deceived here? How do you know that what I'm getting ready to tell you isn't deceptive? I know Pastor Brad's like, Ugh! but it's a question I'm asking right? How do you know that you're not being deceived? 
How do you know these things? And again, if you're here this morning and maybe you're like, I don't know what this group is and something like that, but I'm going to go check them out. I just want to talk to you for just a second. I think you're here this morning because something inside of you says there must be truth somewhere. And I'm looking for truth. And so you're here this morning maybe checking out this new gathering saying, do they have the truth? But then inside of you, there may be part of you that's like, or are they deceiving me? So how do I know? How do I know what's true and what's not? Now, I just have to tell you, I'm a very skeptical person. <laughs> I don't, just because somebody tells me something, I don't necessarily believe it, all right? And I don't care if they have a PhD behind their name because I've got the degrees too. So I know how it works. I'm a very skeptical person. Even when it comes to faith, I've always been very skeptical. I've never accepted, well, this is just what you're supposed to believe. Really? Why? What's the evidence? Show me. I want to think for myself. And so if you're here and you're like searching, great, welcome. I get it. And if you're skeptical, great, wonderful, welcome. We're glad to have you here. So how do you know that you're not being deceived? And then how can you keep from being deceived? So if you have your Bibles, I know we just handed those out. We're going to go to the book of Colossians. Now it's towards the back of the Bible. If you open it up and turn right, I believe, and go towards the back, uh, there's a bunch of little books, and there's a book called Colossians there, and we're going to go to chapter 2 in Colossians and take a look at this and try to answer these questions. Because just to kind of put it in a nutshell, the, the fear that Paul had when he wrote this letter to this new gathering of believers, like Mercy Hill Chapel, he was afraid they were getting deceived. And that, that was one of the big fears in the back of his mind. And, and so let me just say this. How do you avoid getting deceived? Well, the first thing I want you to know is you got to trust Christ. The first thing you've got to do is take that step of faith and trust Christ. Now, we'll talk about that in a second, but just look at verse 6. Uh, we're going to pick up here in verse 6. I know Pastor Brad's been preaching through this, and he says, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. So let me just stop right there. He's talking to people who are in this new gathering that they're saying, yes, we're believers. Now, I'm sure Pastor Brad has shared this, but just let me just give you a recap of how that, that church started in Colossae. There was a guy named Epaphras, grew up as a Gentile, worshipped many gods. That's just what you did in that culture. And apparently he made a trip to Ephesus, and he ran into the Apostle Paul, and he started listening to Paul. And apparently he became a believer. And so he left Ephesus and went back to his hometown of Colossae, and he started telling people about Jesus. And other people said, well, this is what I've been looking for. This is who I've been searching for. And a lot of folks became believers, and they were starting a new gathering there in Colossae. And I was thinking about that. What did Paul say that convinced Epaphras that this was true? Okay, because when Epaphras went to Ephesus and, and he may have heard Paul speaking somewhere and he just stopped in to check it out because he was maybe looking for truth. And, and when he heard Paul say, it wasn't that Paul's like, hey, let me show you some before and after pictures of Jesus. This is Jesus before the cross. This is Jesus on the cross. There he is afterwards. See, he's the son of God. He didn't say, let's show some video clips of the crucifixion. They didn't have that stuff, right? So how in the world did Epaphras even come to a point of faith 
when he heard Paul? Well, first of all, back in those days, there were a lot of eyewitnesses still alive. In fact, Paul said there was over 500 of them still alive. And clearly, Paul was an eyewitness of Jesus. And so, clearly, Epaphras could interview people. In fact, the Apostle John was later in Ephesus. Maybe he was there at that time. And so maybe he went and interviewed the Apostle John, and then he heard Paul's story, and maybe he ran into some other people that had seen Jesus resurrect from the dead. And so there was those eyewitnesses. And then I think as Epaphras was thinking about this, one thing he couldn't deny was how in the world did Paul's life change? I mean, if if you know anything about Paul, he was a persecutor. He was going after Christians, and now he's a preacher. What in the world? And then if Epaphras dug deeper, he'd be looking at James and Jude, who were Jesus' half-brothers, and they went from being very skeptical about Jesus. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, if your brother said he was the Messiah, wouldn't you be like, (laughs) yeah, right. They went from that to leaders of the church. Something happened. And then he could just look at the the disciples in general, these guys ran away when Jesus was being crucified except John. And then they, 50 days later, they're preaching, he's risen from the dead outside of the city in which he was crucified. And so it's like, well, my goodness, we've got eyewitnesses. I've got these changed lives. And then look at their motive. I mean, none of those guys got rich preaching that Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, if you know, in those days when the, when the church started, it was just a tiny sect. We didn't have buildings. We didn't have, and they were under persecution. Though the disciples were constantly on the run for their lives. In fact, according to tradition, they were all killed, except John, who was exiled. There was no motive for them to preach that Jesus had resurrected from the dead. None of them got rich. None of them had names put on buildings because, by the way, you couldn't build church buildings back then because it was illegal. So the motive, there was no motive there unless it was true. And then I think as Epaphras maybe looked at the resurrection story as he heard from Paul, I mean, it's such a crazy story. If, if you really look at the resurrection story, there's like embarrassing details in it. Like the disciples didn't even believe he rose from the dead. Read the story. When they came back, they're like, I don't think so. Now, if you were making this up, you wouldn't write it that way. If we were making this up, we'd be like, yeah, he came back. But the disciples initially were like, and you read it, Luke chapter 17, I believe. They're like, ah, this seems nonsense. And, and again, the resurrection story, the first eyewitnesses were ladies. Now, ladies don't throw out anything at me. But in that culture, the testimony of ladies was not considered valid. If you were making that story up, you would have had men there. Didn't make sense. And, 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 then, and then, you know, you, you could go to the tomb. And, and the fact is, Jesus had a lot of enemies. All they had to do was bring his body out and go through the street saying, He's dead, folks but they didn't do it. They could go to the tomb. It was owned by Joseph of Arimathea. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. They knew where the tomb was at. They could interview the soldiers. And so I think when Epaphras is looking at eyewitnesses and changed lives and the whole resurrection story, it's just, it just doesn't make sense if you were trying to make that up. And, and then the fact is none of these disciples were recanting. I mean, I don't know, but I can imagine Paul at one point took his shirt off and Epaphras was like, holy smokes, 
back was all scarred up from being beaten and whipped. Face may have been scarred up. John, other disciples, and it's like, but they never recanted. Something happened. And so I think when Epaphras saw all this and heard all these things in Ephesus, he was like, this has got to be the answer. And so he trusted Christ. He's like, Lord, I, I need you to save me. I need you to come into my heart. I, don't, I, I, don't, I can't do this on my own. And, and Epaphras experienced what a lot of us in this room have experienced, life change. I can't explain it to you. All I can tell you is until you take that step, you'll never understand. But once you do, I always tell people it's like putting on a pair of glasses. Suddenly you see life differently. And there's a peace in your heart that you never had before. And there's a joy in your heart. And Epaphras experienced that. So he goes back to Ephesus. He tells people they start this church. And he's super, super excited about it. And then he goes back to Ephesus. And he joins up with Paul. But apparently along the way, he gets a letter from somebody in the church that says, Hey, um, there's a lot of confusion starting to happen in the church. And I really don't know what to do about it. And so apparently Epaphras told Paul, and Paul's like, okay, we need to help this, the folks there. Because here's the thing, when you have a new church, you see, Satan wants to deceive people so they don't become believers. If he can, if he can stop people there, he'll do that. But for those who cross the line of faith, then he's going to still try to deceive you. You know why? Because if he can deceive us, he can neutralize you. If he can get confusion in your heart, if he can get doubt in your heart, then you're not going to share the gospel. You might not live for Christ as you ought to live, and, and you start doubting things. And so, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's great. If you're not, I hope you invite him into your heart. hope you respond to his call. But if you're a new follower, too, of Christ, let me tell you, he's gunning for you. Satan wants to deceive people. And, and so when Paul's writing this letter to this church, he knows there's some deception that's creeping into the church. If you, go, if you have your Bibles, look at verse 4 real quickly. We'll, we'll get back to our text. But Paul says, listen, I am saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. And let me tell you how you avoid being deceived. First of all, you need to trust Christ, take that step of faith. Next thing you need to do is to know Christ. You need to know Christ. Now, Paul says, I am saying this. Well, what's he been saying? Look at verse 3 real quick. Here's what he has been saying. In him, speaking about Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In fact, that's the second time Paul had made that kind of a statement. If you go back to chapter 1, and in verse 19, he says, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, in Christ. So Paul's like, listen, I want you guys to understand. Everything you need is in Jesus. Everything that you need, all the wisdom, all the knowledge, all the treasures, all those things that you need are in Christ. Now, if this is true, then doesn't it make sense for us to put our time and effort in getting to know Christ. If you don't want to be deceived, Paul says you need to know who Jesus is. Again, let me just kind of take you back 2,000 years ago to understand what's going on here in the church. 
This is a small group of believers, Gentile believers. But what would happen is the local synagogue leaders, and they also had traveling rabbis, would go to these small churches and start saying, look, I know it's great that you believe this man Jesus died and rose again, but if you really want to make God happy, you need to observe the Sabbath. You need to start going to all the feasts and all the new moon festivals because we are the chosen ones of God, and for the last 1,500 years, this is how we've lived. And so you really need to become a Jewish convert to Judaism. This thing about Jesus is nice, but you need to do more. In fact, if you don't believe that's what's going on, look at verse 16. Paul says, Therefore don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink, or in a matter of festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. So, so you had these folks that were coming in, and they were saying, look, it's not enough just Jesus. You, you need to know more than Jesus. You, you need to do more than Jesus. Again, Satan will use people to create deception and confusion. That's what he wants in the church. But there was another angle they were being hit at. There was a growing view in the non-religious world, I guess you could say, called Gnosticism. And that view was there is hidden knowledge that we need to seek out and find. And so there were other people coming to church say, well, there's more to this Jesus. There's more that you just, you just don't get it. And look at verse 18. I'll, I'll prove it to you. He says, let, let no one condemn you by delighting in aesthetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm, such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. So there were people coming in church say, well, you know, this is great about Jesus, but let me tell you a special revelation I have. Let me tell you something that you're just not going to see in Jesus. And there were a lot of new believers. They were excited about Jesus. They're like, well, well maybe there's, there's more that I need to find and I need to go beyond Jesus. Again, how do you avoid being deceived? you got to know Jesus if you're a new believer. you got to know Jesus. And an old believer like me, you got to know Jesus. Why? Because like Paul said in verse 3 of chapter 2, in Christ all are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so go back to verse 6 where our text here is, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, remember the first step is to trust Him, continue to walk in in him. He's talking to new believers. Why should I walk in Christ? Because in him are hidden all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. That's why I should walk in Christ. You can't walk in Christ if you haven't first trusted him. But if you've trusted him, Paul says, I want you to continue to walk in him. Now verse 7, here's how we do it. Being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, how? Just as you were taught, and overflowing with gratitude. You say, how does this work? How, how, do I, how do I walk in Christ? Well, let me just tell you. First thing, start reading the Gospels. Just Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And, and when you're reading, don't just read a passage and close the Bible. No, ask questions. Who, what, when, why, where, how? Ask those questions of the text. Learn what's going on. Watch Jesus. Let, let, let me just say, if some of y'all are old-timers, I've been a Christian for, oh my gosh, 50 years. This is incredible. Here's the deal. The more I study the Bible, the deeper I realize it is. It is phenomenal 
the Bible and Christ and how all this is connected. I've been doing this for 50 years. You will never exhaust Christ. At our church, we've been preaching through the Gospel of Luke. I've preached 75 sermons and we're just halfway through the book because there's so much there about Jesus. It's amazing. So you say, how do I get to know him? How do I get rid of him? Just start reading about him. Asking those questions, have a notepad, write it down, and read it in context. Learn the context. I love what Pastor Brad's doing. Somebody asked me this morning, because I went to Warren before I came here, he's like, are you going to preach one of your sugar stick sermons? I'm like, no. Pastor Brad said, you're preaching on Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 through 15. He gave me my text. Great. I love that. You know why? And I did that to my pastor, too, because we're preaching through Luke. So he had no, no thing. He had to chapter 13. I love that because when you systematically preach through a book, you learn the context, you learn the background, you learn things, and you deal with topics maybe you don't want to deal with. And so the way Pastor Brad is teaching you all is the way to do it. If you want to learn the Bible, you go through it verse by verse, and you learn. And and, and, and as you read, ask the Holy Spirit to teach you, to guide you, to help you see. And the other way you stay rooted in Christ is you worship together. And we learn together, and we listen to God's Word together. And by the way, when Pastor Brad preaches, or after I preach, investigate what we said. Go for it. If you have questions, I love that you can text questions to that number. That's awesome. Do it. I love questions. I love it when people ask questions. I have questions. It's great. Ask questions. Learn. That's how you get rooted and built up. That's how you get established in the faith. By the way, do you know how bank tellers tell real money from fake money? They know the difference by the feel, by the weight, by how it interacts with the money. The way they teach bank tellers to spot counterfeits is not by giving them a lesson in counterfeit dollars, but by teaching them what the real thing looks like. When you know what the real thing looks like, you can spot a counterfeit. And again, when you're rooted and built up in Christ, you can spot a counterfeit. By the way, you can make the Bible say anything, by the way. You can pick one verse here and one verse here and try and knit it together and all that. But when you preach in the, in the context of a book like Pastor Brad's doing, you can't do that. This is what it says. Whether you like it or not, it's what it says. You can't make up things like that. Again, and remember, believers can be deceived. Satan wants to deceive you. So Paul says you got to stay rooted and built up. And look at verse 8. Be careful, this is a warning, that no one takes you captive. How? Through philosophy and empty deceit. Look at what it's based on. Based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than Christ. Why? Because in Christ, all the fullness of knowledge and wisdom are there. So don't be captured by all these things. You know why so many Christians get pulled away and things like that? It's because they start looking at traditions and they start looking at philosophies and all these things. And instead of looking at Christ, who is Christ? What did Christ teach? Many years ago in 1993, there was a reimagining conference that was held in Minneapolis. And Dolores Williams, who was a professor at Union Theological Seminary in New York, stood up and said, quote, I don't think we need folks hanging on crosses and blood dripping and weird stuff. We just need to listen to the God, small g, within. This is a seminary professor. 
Another person at the seminar, I won't read their whole quote, but they said, if you're struggling with energy, go to a big tree and ask the tree, give me some of your energy. Now, I'm not going to try that because trees can't give me energy. But yet there were Christian, you know, supposedly Christian conference people saying, yay, this sounds so wonderful. Did Jesus ever teach go out and hug a tree? Absolutely not. He died on the cross. That is, he's the Savior. There's no God as far as that you, in you, other than Christ. If you're a believer, you have Christ in you. Again, be careful. Why do people so many times get bought into these things? Because they really don't know Christ. Again, Paul reminds us, verse 9, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. Trust Jesus for your salvation and then get to know him. And you say, well, wait a minute, Jim. I'm not a theologian. I've not been to seminary like Pastor Brad. Look, the first church I pastored, there were five retired pastors. I had been to seminary at that time, but my degree was in church music. I was not a divinity graduate. I'm preaching in front of five pastors out there. I was nervous. But one thing I did know is since the time I was young, I had been memorizing Scripture and I knew the Bible. Not perfectly. I've learned a lot since then. But I just preached Jesus. I just did what Pastor Brad's doing. We're just going to take a book. We're going to start walking through it and learning. You don't have to be a seminarian. You don't have to be a theologian. All theology means the study of God, all right? If, if you're wanting to learn about God, you're a theologian, <laughs> okay? Study Jesus. Satan wants you to believe you can't search the Scriptures, you can't, you can't do that yourself, but you can. And lastly, real quickly, so you need to trust Jesus if you don't know Him. Second, you need to know Jesus, learn, read about Him, learn from Him. And finally, if you're a believer, rest in Jesus. Rest in Jesus. Real quickly, let's look at the last few verses Here's what Paul says, and you, speaking to these young believers, have been filled by him, by Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. If you're a believer, you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. Look at verse 11, you were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When did this happen, Paul? When you were buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him. And how did this happen, Paul? Through faith. In the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, I, I don't have time to get into all this, but bottom line is, the, the, especially those who are coming in from Judaism, were saying, hey, look, man, if you want to be a true follower of Jesus, you need to have surgery. And Paul's like, nope, that's not how this works. If you came to know Christ, he has removed the grip of sinful flesh off your heart. He has given you a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. You don't have to start going through external rituals to somehow please God. When you came to faith, and notice he says there in the passage, through faith in Christ, when that happened, God removed those things. You have been circumcised in the heart. And so you don't have to worry about special feast days and new moons and all these things. Just know Christ and know that he's in your heart and that you've been given a new heart. You're not a slave to sin anymore. Look at the next few verses. And when you were dead in trespasses and sin, this is before Christ, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, look at what Christ did. He made you alive with him and forgave us all of our trespasses. 
When does he make a person alive? When you trust Christ. I'm telling you, if you haven't given your heart and life, if you will reach out your hand of faith, say, God, I don't know how this all works, but I do believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I'm, I, I'm fallen. I, I can't do it. I need help. If you'll reach out that hand of faith, I'm telling you, you'll get new life. There'll be a change. He says, you were made alive in, with him, and, forget, and he forgave us all of our trespasses, past, present, and future. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. That's awesome. Believers aren't perfect people, but we're forgiven people. And sometimes we trip, sometimes we fall, sometimes we sin, but our sins are under the blood of Christ. God no longer holds that against you. That's called justification, if you want the big word, right? And Paul says, look, this is who you are. You're not a slave to sin. You're filled with Christ. This is who you are. You're forgiven. Rest in that. Don't try to pursue other stuff. Everything you have is in Christ. And, and look at Jesus in verse 15. He says, He, Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. What's Paul saying? Those demonic hordes have no power over you, no control. Christ is the king. And let me just wrap this up by saying this deception is real. There are spiritual forces of darkness out there in the world that are trying to deceive. Satan and his demonic horde definitely doesn't want people to come to know Christ. And so he will do everything he can to keep people away from Jesus. But I'm telling you, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're searching, I'm going to tell you the answer is right here. Trust Christ. When you look at Christianity, it stands apart from every religion in the world. Every religion in the world says, do good, hopefully your good works will get you there. Every religion is built on that, except Christianity. It says it's by grace. Christianity stands completely apart from all the other religions of the world. Every religion of the world is built on some sort of philosophical framework, except Christianity is built on a person, Jesus Christ. It stands completely apart from all the other religions in the world. I'm telling you, that's the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. So if you've never given your heart and life to Christ, if you're searching, great. I'm going to challenge you, examine Jesus. Look at Jesus. I'm going to tell you, if you'll reach out your hand of faith to him, he will save you. And if you're a new believer, I'm telling you, know Jesus. Learn of him. Read about him. Study him. Ask him to guide you. And my question is, do you know him? Do you know Christ? Every one of us has to guard against deception. All of us need to be a student of Jesus. And I'm telling you, if you're a student of Jesus, your antennas will go up when you see deception. You'll see it. You'll see it. Let's pray.